ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are. The Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick, daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Hello there, party partners. Welcome to our sandbox. It is the playground here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And this is the Hour of Power. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are so happy that you are with us every week. It really makes us uh, feel great that you join us and, and support the causes and get some new information and inspiration and all of that because we really want to give your life some enthusiasm and some passion and help you find your purpose. And, of course, be healthy. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to be the star of your own life. For more information on getting a private consultation or a session over the phone or by Skype, you can call 925-377-7827. And this is from Ellen Cohen. As Act as if you are worthy to have what you want. And the universe is going to prove you correct. Well, I love that. That's all the power of intention and that ask and you shall receive. Lately, we've been getting some emails, Heather, from from, uh, authors who are like, I have been praying for the right radio show, and then here you are. (laughs) So that makes us feel good. Anyway, today's show, our resident health professional, Heather Brittany, is going to talk to us about gestational diabetes and that's a really important topic that we all need to know about and then in segment two we're going to find out the importance of taking an afternoon siesta maybe the spanish the italians and the mexicans have it right that they take a couple of hours in the afternoon for a little bit of uh shut eye and then da 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 jaws is back as we go into the waters this summer but maybe this time we're going to go in and try to save the sharks. When we have author and Washington Post environmental writer Julia Elperin, she has written the book Demon Fish, and it's all about sharks. And it is the most fascinating book you would ever want to read on these prehistoric perils. Well, gestational diabetes, what is it? It is a high blood sugar diabetes that starts or perhaps is first diagnosed during pregnancy. And, of course, I think pregnancy can also cause the women to get diabetes. But what is it exactly? How does it affect us? What do we do if we've been diagnosed? And is there a way to prevent it? Heather, take it away. You know the (laughs) the ins and the outs of this, and I know you're excited to share your information. Yeah, well, most of them, well, gestational diabetes affects about 4% of all pregnant women each year, and that ends up being about 135,000 women each year, uh, pregnant women, that is, of course. And um, how gestational diabetes occurs, many times it isn't, uh, it's sort of a temporary condition. Uh, Some women, if they have diabetes prior to pregnancy, they are at greater risk. 
But um, for the most part, this is something that, sort of like a, a temporary diabetes. And things that can bring it on are if you're having a child uh, after the age of 25, you have any family history of diabetes, um, you have high uh, sugars, glucose in your urine, you have high blood pressure, um, and also what's related directly to um, the pregnancy is if you've ever had a pregnancy prior and the child was born at a what could be considered an overweight birth weight or a heavy birth weight, um, that can lead to it. And as well as that, women, when they're pregnant, um, they're producing different hormones. And a lot of this hormones is in uh, the placenta. And this placenta causing can actually block um, insulin, your body's ability to function with insulin. And so when that does happen, um, the pancreas kind of goes into overload and tries to overcompensate for this. And in fact, what it's causing is the diabetes. Um, and your body is getting this extra uh, extra blood glucose. And then when your body is doing that, then that extra blood glucose is going to go through the placenta, giving the baby a higher level of glucose. And since the baby is forming at that time, the baby doesn't need this extra surge of energy. So its pancreas goes into overload. And what actually can happen with that is that the, this extra energy gets stored as fat. And what this can do to the child is that it can lead to this thing called macrosomnia, which is... Well, and, wait, and one second before you go into that, does, does this mean that the child will have diabetes as well? No. So, no. Well, okay. This, so there's, there's many ways of things. So really when it's saying when this sugar glucose um, goes through the placenta and affects the baby... And this, as I said, it's a really, this macrosomnia is just a really fancy way of saying fat baby. Because what it will do, the, the, the sugars are now being stored as fat. So your, your baby potentially is going to be born at a heavy birth weight. Um, with that being said, it isn't, you know, your, your baby then is more likely to continue, um, could have the possibility of, uh, obesity and later on in life, um, possibly type 2 diabetes. Something that's actually really interesting about this is that if it's not um, if it's not well managed, as the mother, if the mother doesn't get checked for this, and really it isn't something that's diagnosed until about the 24th or 28th week of pregnancy. But if you're a pregnant woman at, around that time, you should definitely go in for testing to find out because there's very few times um, symptoms, you know. So. Sometimes, Heather, sometimes does it matter if women are very overweight when they're pregnant or before they're pregnant? Yes, and that, that's something, too, that um, a lot of times this kind of uh, eating for two gets taken out of hand, thinking eating twice as much, and really all you need as a pregnant woman is about 300 more calories a day. So actually being overweight prior to pregnancy can lead to um, gestational diabetes. Oftentimes, just being overweight in general can lead to diabetes. But um, women, um, so as being overweight, but if a woman isn't overweight going into it, a lot of times, as I said, people kind of get on this, I'm pregnant now, I'm just going to eat, you know, all all this junk food and eat so much of it. And all of a sudden, that huge insulin rise, all of a sudden, all these new calories and probably not healthy choices is causing your body to react with it. And actually, the surprising thing I'm saying is that the good news is that it's temporary for um, the pregnant woman, for the most part, as long as it's well-balanced. Um, but when the baby's actually born, they actually experience a hypoglycemic thing of similar that you would know that their uh, their body um, 
they're not they don't have enough sugar in it. So the baby can be very weak and have um, you know accelerated heartbeat and rate. And so that's one thing too. Also, once you've gone in for this initial test to find out if in fact you have um, you have gotten gestational uh, diabetes, it's really important that you stay well managed with that. And that that means um, pricking your finger. They have these home kits so that you can watch your insulin level, see how high your sugars are. And as well as you can go in for a simple uh, stress test at uh, your OBGYN provider to see how the stress on the baby is. Because if the baby's heart is uh, working over, it's showing that the sugars are affecting them. So it's really you know, important to see that the, the child um, that's wild and developing isn't going through stressful things. So now once you know someone has been diagnosed, it's not the end of the world, as I said, it's that you really can lead, have a healthy pregnancy. It's just staying um, well-balanced with that. So as I said before, is that you really don't want eating for two is eating for two, but not twice as much. You only need an additional 300 calories a day, which could be, you know, a glass of milk and a banana and about 10 crackers extra. Only three, only 300 calories a day when you're pregnant extra? That's all you really need? And only an additional 300 calories extra. So the bottom line is every time people are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this baby's making me hungry, that's really not... So true. It's really not that much more. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of times people say they get these these odd, you know, cravings. And when, of course, it's pregnancy, your body has new hormones and weird things. But just really try to have a fit and healthy pregnancy because those are things just overall for diabetic patients. If they want to manage their life, if they want to lead healthier life without complications, diet and exercise is huge. So one of the main things um, that work, we've been on a big kick, kind of educate people regarding folic acid. Taking prenatal vitamins, 400 milligrams a day, folic acid is one of the number one things that can help prevent against uh, premature birth defects. And overall, it's just good for women's health. It's good for hair. It's good for nails. Um, also, calcium, iron, uh, as well as that eating vegetables and you know milk and not and staying away from fatty food because the body is storing additional, if the body's eating up, it's storing in its fat. And with these um, gestational diabetic patients, they say that when the baby is getting this additional insulin that it's not needing, it's storing this energy as fat and it's causing the baby to grow and be larger, as they're saying, as being this fat baby. And that Heather, they, when you say a fat baby, is there a certain size that's considered fat or does that differ based on the well, size of the mother? You know, that because birth rates weren't, but they say if you think nine pounds and over, which sounds crazy, nine pounds, uh, but that can actually be unhealthy for the baby to be born with that, and that can actually lead to more complications for them um, later on in life. So it's really, as I said, this uh, macrosomnia thing, it's just a fancy word of saying that baby, um, it puts them at risk for later on in life for being um, obese and potentially developing type 2 diabetes. And that's a whole other thing, too, is, is that um, if a mother, if you have been diagnosed this and you were, you know, the best thing is to get healthy during the pregnancy because it is reversible for the most part after giving birth, both insulin levels return to a normal level. Um, but then that's kind of setting up that you want to make sure now your child's going to have, you don't want that your child to get um, juvenile diabetes. So it's really from day one of starting that up, not rewarding your children with um, cookies and candy, you know, exercise, play, that kind of this um, making smart decisions because children from the get-go are always 
um, they're watching you. They're always, they see how you do. You're their first educator on so many levels. So your views of food and the way, you know, the, the things you eat is going to set up the way they view food and they eat as well. So if you have this positive view towards exercise and eating good food, uh, most likely that's going to be um, presented to your children as well. So you really want to start with that because diabetes at any age is unfortunate and it really is a life of complications and medicines and um, you know, unfortunately, your body, certain things over time can't support himself. So things, too, you know, that if you ever think any symptoms that people could experience, as they said, for the most part, people don't have um, any symptoms leading up to it, but they could be things that, you know, blurred vision, fatigue, frequent uh, urination, which, again, just seems like pregnancy symptoms, Um Weight loss, or these are all things that diabetic people encounter. Um, it's just really in, in careful to monitor this. And as I said, that once you've uh, once you have been diagnosed, it's really important to get in contact with your doctor and follow up of the plan because sometimes it can be. Heather, I have a question yeah. about what is the difference between type one and type two. Do you know the answer to that? I do not know the, dan- mm. the difference between type 1 and type 2. Okay, because, there, you know, people are talking about all the time there's type 1 and type 2, and I'm not sure which one, you know, or if one of them is um, is worse than the other or or not. I, you know, I was just wondering. Maybe we should do a show about that so that we have I the... I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might be a good idea, huh, to do something like that. Or, or maybe yeah, there is, the is there a type know, 1? The only thing I know with type 2 is that type 2 usually comes later on in life. It's the only later. thing I'm aware so of. So maybe that, type yeah. 1 is something that you're born with or is that childhood diabetes? That, that might be something that happens in childhood. diabetes uh, is something that starts um, with children in, at a very young age. And some things can be hereditary. Um, however, for the most part, it's such, uh, preventable uh, disease that, uh, and unfortunately, as over time, people can have it well managed, but they can never get rid of it. Um, but you know, it, it's unfortunate to think that as a child, you know, your entire life that you're going to have to be, you know, giving yourself insulin or taking medicine and checking your blood levels and everything, your sugar levels every day. Um, it, it's a simple, you know. Yeah, and that you know, eating well done. Hmm. With. With type two diabetes, do you normally have to give yourself insulin in uh, injections? I'm, I'm oh, and by the way, I just looked up. A, oh, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I you are right about that. I just looked up type one. It is juvenile diabetes. So type okay. one is that the the body does not produce any insulin, and mm-hmm. so it's usually diagnosed in children and young adults. So it used to be called. Um, juvenile diabetes, and now it's just called type 1. So type 2 comes later in life, and type yeah, 1, and I think, uh, I so think you're right. Really, I, I'm, I'm unsure, and I can please correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's just everyone has the potential of how well you manage your diabetes. I think as in any, any kind of condition, um, it's how well you take care of yourself because some people have high cholesterol or high blood pressure, but if they take care of themselves, you know, they don't have to take all these pills and what have you. It's when people don't manage their health, when people That's are right. aware that they have 
uh, diabetes and they don't take the medicine or they don't, they're not cautious about the foods or whatever. Well, and just so people know, you know, insulin is a hormone that is needed to convert sugar and starches and, and other food into energy for our daily life. So there's only um, 5% of people evidently that have this type 1 diabetes. So that's, that's a small amount. So the type 2 is much more prevalent. And as you said, there are what, millions, of, uh, I guess there's 25.8 million people in the United States with some kind of diabetes. So the whole key is taking care of yourself. Well, this is a great segment, really helpful. We definitely want to uh, keep it away and keep the weight off and have healthy babies and and just be cautious. So give out the websites, Heather, and thanks yeah, for all this most research. Definitely, I, and just one last parting word is if anyone does experience gestational diabetes, it really is important to maintain a healthy lifestyle after delivery because women who experience that during pregnancy are at a higher risk to actually develop diabetes on its own within five to ten years after delivery. So it's really important to just maintain, um, maintain that health. But for more things about the show, the books, the website, everything, we want you to go to our website, go to BeTheStarYouAre.com. Be the star you are dot org and Carmony Clutches, both with a K dot com. Well, and when we come back from break, uh, we're going to kind of take a, a sleep siesta. I do think that the Mediterraneans, the Mexicans are really on to something because they know how to preserve our health and our brain functions. They take a two-hour siesta. I guess they're probably not listening to the show. They're sleeping right now. They'll have to catch it in the archives. Anyway, make sure you don't go away because this is a fascinating uh, segment. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And this is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And we will be right back. Don't you dare go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Albert Einstein said that imagination is more important than facts. And the more you use your imagination, the more creative you become. But why? when was the last time you really thought outside the box? Imagine your goals and then focus your attention on accomplishing them, even in the most unorthodox manner. Your ability to develop ideas to make you successful is absolutely limitless. The next time you come up against a brick wall... Let your imagination run wild and ponder the potentials. Think like a child who knows no boundaries and be aware of possible solutions to what seem like impossible challenges. Our experiences are only limited by the quantity and quality of our imagination. So imagine your reality. And remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite. When you need help thinking outside the box, give me a holler, 925-377-7827. I'm available for coaching both in person and by Skype and phone. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. 
Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org. All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you. It's a wonderful summer day. We love the month of July with the sun shining brightly. And before we go further, I want to give a shout-out to the program director here at World Talk Radio who is celebrating a birthday. She's an executive producer, Brandy Jackson. Yay. So happy birthday, Brandy. She is probably not listening because I hope she is partying right now. But in any case, it's a happy birthday to you. <laughs> also, I just wanted to announce that the Operation Disaster Relief that the teens and myself at Be The Star You Are have been conducting to help the victims of the tornado in Joplin, Missouri, has just been going like gangbusters. And many of the authors here on the radio show have been kind enough to donate books to the 262 classrooms as well as to the hospitals that were destroyed in the hurricane. And as of today, we have now shipped almost $40,000 worth of books. If you would like to make a donation, we need shipping dollars. It would be great to get some. We have lots of books in our office, but we don't have the dollars to ship. Please go to btsya.com and just click on the PayPal donate button, or you can go to bethestarur.org. But don't use Safari or Google Chrome. For some reason, it's not working. It's working on Firefox. I'm not sure about Internet Explorer, but Be The Star You Are is working on Firefox, bethestarur.org. Well, midday naps refuel your brain. You're not being lazy if you stop to snooze, and you may be doing the best thing for your body and, of course, for your mind. Contrary to the notion that naps are needed only if you haven't slept well the night before, a 90-minute nap, even for those who've had a good night's sleep, clears the brain's short-term memory storage, which becomes cluttered during the day and sluggish. Because once we're awake several hours, you know, it just slows down. So when you take a little nap, it makes room for new information. Uh, this is according to a new research study from my alma mater at University of California at Berkeley, Cal Berkeley. Now, uh, previous UC Berkeley sleep research found naps of 60 to 90 minutes that included rapid eye movements, or also known as REM, Sleep help, um, helped increase the receptiveness to positive emotions, which is really beneficial for mental health. So it's really critical to take some regular midday naps 
because they also reduce the risk of death from heart disease in men. And this was according to a joint study of Harvard University and the university in Athens, uh, Greece. And it's interesting because we as Americans, we are very sleep deprived. And as I've said many times on the show before, at the turn of the 20th century, when 1899 turned to 1900, Americans were sleeping 9.6 hours per day. We were an agrarian society. We usually got up with the sun and and went to bed, you know, when the sun went down. Whereas today we're getting an average of 6.9. So we really are sleep deprived. So having some of those naps is really important. And But unfortunately, because of our go, go, go society and the fact that the more we do, the more accomplished we are, the, you know, the better we are perceived in, um, in our communities, we tend to think of ourselves as being lazy or very sloth-like if we're not uh, moving all the time. And the research is showing just the opposite. I mean, just yesterday, I called in the afternoon a garden client of mine to report on some new plants that I wanted to uh, share with them. And when the husband answered the phone, he said that the wife was taking a nap. I was like, this is great. You know, that's wonderful. Don't do not wake her. She called back later and had a zillion excuses. And she felt extremely guilty because she wasn't available for the call. And I was trying to assure her, hey, you were doing the best thing for your body. And, you know, the garden can wait a little bit. It's better that you are refreshed. Well, the cardinal rule of sleep is that you do have to get enough of it. And this um, is a quote by Dr. John Wilson. He is a neurologist and co-director of the Sleep Lab at Loyola University's Memorial Hospital in Illinois. And the most time that it makes sense is to take a lunchtime nap. And that's not only for the sleep-deprived, but for anyone who wants to function at optimal mental capacity. Now, most people think of sleep as something that is passive. They think, oh, we're just recharging our battery. But it really isn't. It's actually much more active than that. What's happening when you're sleeping is your brain waves have more structure when you are asleep than when you are awake. So it's kind of like if you want to compute it, uh, um, compare it to technology and computers, it's like defragmenting your hard drive, except it's your brain. So it's so much more important. So siestas can really be a beneficial addition to anyone's sleep repertoire. It is uh, something that is so important to us and it, because we can break down our siestas into two sleep categories. Now, you could take a nap that lasts 30 to 60 minutes, which triggers a slow wave sleep. And that does help your brain recall information which is already stored there. But you have to avoid sleep inertia. So the thing about that is it's better to sleep or nap at least 50 minutes. It's good to go beyond the slow wave sleep so you can get past it and you wake up more easily. I'm sure you've tried to take little kind of cat naps, as they call them, in the past. And then when you come out of it, you're drowsy and it takes a while to wake up. Well, that's because you really didn't get enough of it. You didn't go deep into it and you probably stopped before 50 minutes. Now, naps of 60 to 90 minutes, they trigger the REM sleep, which is really good for improving and creating memory. Now, the other thing, though, is we got to be careful. You don't want to sleep past the 90 minutes. 
when you sleep past the 90 minutes, you're just going into another sleep cycle. So you're really not getting any additional benefits after 90 minutes. You, it's, it's, um, additionally, a long nap can really affect your nighttime sleep. So the key here, just to sum up, is you want to take a nap of a minimum of 50 minutes and no longer than 90 minutes. And that is the most beneficial. And if you can take one during your lunch break, I know most people at work, you might be getting only an hour at lunch. And so 50 minutes to sleep is giving you 10 minutes to eat or walk. So it's not that that much. Or if you only get a half an hour, hmm, you may have to settle for that cat nap. But then it is giving you some benefits, but it may make you a little bit drowsy too. So here is a perfect and beneficial siesta. You would grab a blanket because your body temperature drops when you are asleep. You want to block all the distractions. That means you want to turn off your electronic devices and wear an eye mask. There is a lot of evidence and statistics that show that light inhibits sleep. So if you're in your office, I just, you know those eye masks that they have on the planes? I just use that. If, if it's at all possible, it's better to lie down and cover yourself with the blanket. Of course, you probably can't do that if you're in a cubicle. <laughs> but if you are in your own office, that might work, you know, uh, just great. And then watch the clock. Um, don't nap within three hours of your bedtime. Otherwise, you are going to rob yourself of the really important nighttime sleep. And when I say turn off electronic devices, that means also turn off your phone and uh, don't have your computer, your email, or any of that. And you really should not have music or any kind of distraction. It should just be a very quiet time. So despite the benefits, many people might not be culturally ready to embrace siestas, but it is possible to fake a siesta, and it would certainly be a good thing if for your overall health and your um, your mental health. Of course, you don't want to get fired. So it's not going to do you any good um, for your physical and mental health to just be stressed out. You want to try to get as much sleep as you can, but at the same time, don't take a siesta at work if your employer is going to fire you. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be beneficial. But if you work for yourself or you have the opportunity to schedule some of your own time, then by all, all means, think about taking a, a little nap. And if you've ever traveled to any of the European Mediterranean countries or uh, to Mexico, you will know that most of the places are completely closed from noon until 2. And that is so that everyone can go home, have lunch with their families, and take a nap. And I know that when I lived in France, it was absolutely the norm. And it was really difficult for me to get used to it in the beginning that I would go to school until 12 o'clock. And then there was no way to have classes until after 2. And some of the countries actually uh, are closed. Things are closed until 3. Some parts of France and in the Basque region are closed until 3. Now, they'll stay open later, but they'll close for those 3 hours. But what's interesting is once you do it, you will feel so much better and you will get into a routine that just energizes you and you will be just unbelievably aware of how much your brain is functioning better. So take a siesta, 
don't feel guilty and get the sleep you need. Now, I wanted to give you a set of directions for living a worthwhile life. This is a roadmap to happiness. And this, I thought, was a really good thought for the week. If you have ever thought deeply about what constitutes real happiness, it really comes down to really true, genuine happiness. What is it to you? And here are some things that I think really help you feel good about who you are and help you be happy. You want to be good and do good. I hope one of these days I'll get my book out, Be Do, because I am such a big believer in you have to be first before you do. But that's simple enough. You be good and you do good. Know what's right and then do what's right. Again, that's a very simple premise. Live each day in a manner that when you go to sleep each night, you do so with a clear conscience. Then you will come from making every effort in your life, you will know that it's worth living. Now live your life the best way you know how. Don't do things that you won't be proud of. In other words, think about if your parents, what they would think, your family or anyone who loves you. And you want people to... To um, admire you as a person, as your character. So you don't want to become someone that you wouldn't be proud of knowing. Don't search for riches, fame, or material wealth, but live your life the best way possible. And when you do, you will attain the most value possession there is. And that is peace of mind. And as many of our guests on our show have been able to show you in the past, It is an interesting law of the universe is when we really are doing and being who we love and who who we are and loving what we do, somehow the rest follows. And we may not become gazillionaires or billionaires or even millionaires, but we'll be comfortable. Realize that there is no substitute for being a good person. Work hard at developing meaningful, genuine relationships John Wooden, who was a legendary uh, basketball coach that I knew from UCLA, he said, make friendship a fine art. And I couldn't agree more. Contribute to the lives of others. You know, you want to make a difference. I I know that I get a a lot of flack sometimes, and even from my husband, or saying how much time I devote to the charity as a volunteer of Be The Star You Are. But I really want to contribute to the lives of others. So why don't you help all of us, help us with Operation Disaster Relief. Go to btsya.com or bethestarur.org and make a small donation. Every little bit helps. Help make other people's lives a little bit better and more pleasant because they may not, they may not be pleasant for them unless you step in. You want to have a positive impact on people Care for others as much as you can and show appreciation to the important people in your life as often as you can. You know, uh, I, I always think that it's really important to make people feel special and to care, share, and be fair. So make sure that you do that. You want to leave a legacy of love and respect. Learn to forgive and actually practice forgiveness. It's a hard one. Also, learn to ask for forgiveness. When you make a mistake... Ask for forgiveness. Sometimes it is easier than asking for permission. But, you know, admit your faults. Learn to control your emotions and to think before you speak and act. Learn to control your anger because if you don't, it's going to control you. And don't judge anyone. Be kind and respectful to everyone. 
you don't know what someone might be going through. And I find that always interesting. It's so easy to look at someone and to, you know, to judge the way they look or the way they act or whatever it is. But we don't know what is really happening with them. So make sure not to judge. Keep an open mind. Accept the fact that you may not always be right. And keep an open heart. Understand that what you want in life and that what you're called to do may change as you gather more knowledge and experiences. And don't fear change. Embrace the exciting opportunities that come with the future. Always be positive. Remember, you can be realistic and positive at the same time. Despite what the naysayers say, I know that people will say, you know, I always think I'm an optimist. And and, uh, the pessimists will say, well, no, you know, I'm a realist and you're just being way too optimistic. I'm not sure you can ever be too optimistic. Enjoy the life you have because it is the only one you're ever going to get. And don't always take yourself too seriously. You want to learn to laugh at yourself and at your circumstances and find ways to make the arduous and tedious things more enjoyable. Don't waste time complaining. Find something to be thankful for and make the most of the good things you have in life. Focus on the positives and you'll find that everything else seems to disappear from view. Learn to appreciate what you have and also to pursue what you want. Be clear on your intentions and really go for it. And don't be contented with the work of yesterday. You want to keep moving forward, keep striving towards something worthwhile. Always do your best. And if your best is good enough, then enjoy the rewards. And if your best isn't good enough, then keep working and giving your best until one day it really is there. Be humble. It's better to be humble of your own choosing than to be humbled by other people or by circumstances. Don't be satisfied with any accomplishments. Don't rest on your laurels. Instead, resolve to continue seeking excellence and reaching for your best every day and find out what you have a passion for and then do it. And don't just do it for your own benefit. Find a way to use your gifts and your passions for others. And two things that you can do with your your life is to simplify it and to maximize it. And, of course, never, ever give up on your dreams. They belong to you and you alone, and no one can take them away from you. And you want to dream big. So when we come back from break, we're going to go into the deep, and we're going to be talking about jaws and those prehistoric sharks that lurk in the deep waters. Stay with us. The book Demon Fish is coming right up. Travels through the hidden world of sharks. I'm excited. I hope you are too. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. 
Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7822. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you for staying with us where the world comes to talk and listen. And every week, Be the Star You You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life and give you information that you probably don't hear anywhere be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through positive message programming like this radio show, and they want to increase literacy. And right now, the teens of Be the Star You Are have launched Operation Disaster Relief to help replenish books in the 262 classrooms that were destroyed by tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri. And as well, they're donating books to the local hospitals, and we do need your donations to help with shipping the books. As of yesterday, 2,900 books have been shipped at a value of almost uh, $42,000, and these are all brand new. So make a monetary donation today. It's tax deductible, btsya.com, or go to bethestarur.org. It is a charity. It's doing good. And the families and the youth of Joplin, Missouri will thank you. Well, the movie Jaws made us scared to go into the water. Some of us were scared to go into the bathtub as a man-eating shark lurked in the depths devouring unsuspected humans. But as we head to the beaches this summer to swim, to surf, and to sun, maybe it's time we rethink our premise and we start protecting the predators. Juliet Alperin, the national environmental reporter for the Washington Post, has investigated these lions, tigers, and jaguars of the sea with her book, Demon Fish, and she presents a picture of prehistoric peril. Welcome, Juliet, to Starstyle. Be the star you are. Thank you. Well, as a certified diver myself for most of my life, I must admit that although I've swam with sharks in, um, in many places around the world, my fears actually were always for my own safety and not for the, the snaggletooth <laughs> sharks. But after reading Demon Fish, the message is really clear. These sharks are in danger and humans need to do something about it. Or our whole uh, oceans, our, our ecosystem can be damaged. Let's talk about Demon Fish. This is a really fascinating uh, look into the undersea world. Thanks so much. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, scientists at this point think that as many as a third of all shark species worldwide might face some threat of extinction, which is pretty incredible when you think that they've been around for nearly 400 million years. 
Well, they are the oldest, according to what your research has shown. I mean, they're one of the oldest species that they survived. The dinosaurs, they've come through so many different ages. They were here long, 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 long before humans. So they have learned to survive, but their biggest peril as humans right now, they're being overfished and this shark fin soup, this premise for the shark fin, this is ridiculous. I've never tasted it, but it sounds like we could just get a, mo- a noodle and it'd be just as fine. Right. There's an Asian delicacy uh, called shark fin soup, which has been around for hundreds of years, and it's very prized in particularly China, but also some other Asian countries. And what's so interesting, as you mentioned, is that they take a noodle, which comes from the cartilage in the in the shark's fins, and, and put that in the soup, but, you know, I, I went to Hong Kong, I interviewed the chefs who make it, and what they acknowledged is the, the taste from the soup comes from chicken and pork and other things they put in there because the noodles themselves are actually flavorless. So it's really pretty extraordinary when you consider that scientists estimate between 26 and 73 million sharks worldwide are killed each year for their fins, and that doesn't count the millions of sharks that are caught by accident when fishing vessels are going after things like tuna and swordfish. Well, and I think what most people don't realize, because I certainly didn't, is when they are uh, collecting these shark fins, they actually catch the shark, cut off their fins, and throw the fish, the dead fish, back into the water. I mean, it seems so incredibly inhumane in the first place, very wasteful. And and for what? I think whoever was the press agent, uh, what was it, in the year 1100 or something, who started this shark fin soup? <laughs> exactly, I mean, they, exactly. Yeah. A Chinese explorer who decided this would be a good thing to sell back home because, ironically, he was having a problem where he, would, he, he went off to, to Africa and there they were eating the meat and didn't care about the fins, so he brought the fins back to China. That's, that's really the... You know, the, the history a, of that. It's a crazy story. And, and your experiences, it was like every place that you went was that uh, any kind of um, elegant festivity, it's a status symbol, bot- was bottom line. Is Absol- that you absolutely, have to sh- whether it's a wedding banquet or whether it's, it's a business meal, it's something that people see as, you know, a sign of respect for their guests, that they would be willing to pay the money to buy this soup. It, it, that just absolutely amazes me. Well, let's talk about some of the regulations that are going on um, around the world because different – I was. it was very interesting to um, think about the area that's near uh, Cancun mm-hmm. in Mexico, how they have gone from being shark fishermen to shark tourism. I found that very interesting, especially with the whale sharks who were – Kind of these little cuddle, I mean, not little, <laughs> they, <laughs> these 50 foot, many ton, but they're, but they are not, um, they're not mean. They're not man eaters. So it's now opened up another uh, avenue for them to make money and to have people become more comfortable with sharks. How can we turn things like this? Or how can we make the shark more cuddly? I mean, that's right. Now, that's definitely a challenge, and you're right. That if you're gonna the, the the cuddliest of all sharks, and none of them are that cuddly, is the whale shark. It's it's the size of the school bus. It's the biggest fish in the sea, but it's got polka dots on it. It's got these white markings, and um, and so it's really kind of the one that kids get into. And again, they're filter feeders, so as you mentioned, you don't have to be afraid of them, and so you can actually just get in the water with them by snorkeling. You don't even have to scuba dive because they spend a lot of time in the sur- at the surface, even though they can go down. 5,000 feet, so um, so they're definitely kind of, a, if sharks need PR, you know, they're maybe their best uh, spokes, 
spokes fishes. But um, that said, what's really interesting, and you mentioned the idea of, this, of tourism in, in Mexico, and it's taken off in Mexico and other countries, whether you're talking about French Polynesia, um, in the Maldives, um, in, you know, in, in the Bahamas. What's interesting is a lot of countries are deciding they can make more money by saving the sharks than, than by fishing them, and that's really kind of you know, the, best, the best hope that they have. Well, and that's very encouraging if we can get that message out there because, you know, in reading your book, you talked about a, um, a woman who hired a PR agency to do some press on sharks and they used the movie Jaws as like the da, 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 da. But instead of a shark coming out of the water, it was toasters and chairs and these benign objects because the reality is more people are killed by toasters and chairs every year than sharks. Right. I thought that exactly. That was Leslie Rochette. She's um, with the Save Our Seas Foundation in South Africa, and she got this high-profile uh, advertising firm, Sachi and Sachi, to do this. And it's an incredible ad when you see it, and it's really, it's really striking. But, you know, when you tell people you've, there, you know, there are between four and five people each year worldwide that die from a shark strike, and if you put that up to whether you're talking about defective toasters um, lightning, snakes, vending machines, you know, literally there, there are many other causes of death that, that outnumber uh, shark strikes. And so yeah, the, it, it's really those images sometimes help, help bring the point across. I think that, you know, it, also the whole the movie Jaws really did change the whole thought process. And I don't think Peter Benchley really knew what was happening. In fact, towards the end of his life, he became a shark, an advocate for sharks and very much about uh, conserving them. But that movie, I still talk to people who, when they find out that I'm a diver, say, oh, my God, I, I, I don't I'm even afraid. I have to look in my bathtub, you know, because it really did scare people. And I think the scary thing is the is the great whites, because if they come up from below, which they often do sometimes, thinking you're a seal, is there really isn't any warning system like they have in South Africa now on some of the beaches where they have the patrols on the hillside and on the beach with the flags. Right. I think think you're absolutely right. What really scares people about sharks is they come from out of nowhere. They come from the dark, from below, from the depths. And that there's no way to really anticipate a strike. And I think, you know, that is something that should, you know, understandably taps into some primal fears that we have. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, what happened with Jaws and, and again, as, as, you know, as you mentioned, Peter Benchley ultimately became a real shark conservationist and ocean conservationist and his widow, Wendy Benchley, carries that on to this day. What, what happened is it made people feel like they were vulnerable everywhere, as you said, even in their bathtub. You know, it just, it gave this, uh, perception that sharks were everywhere and that you couldn't go to the beach without being vulnerable. Well, and something else, and by the way, listeners, we are talking to Juliet Alperin. Am I saying your right name, Ryan? Am I pronouncing it's Alperin, Alperin, but thanks Alperin. so much, Ryan. Okay. I, it's, I, this is a wonderful book. Her book is called Demon Fish, Travels Through the Hidden World of Sharks, and she's just done an amazing, amazing re- research and been in there with the sharks and all the different uh, specialists and scientists and and uh, shark fishermen as well as conservative conservationists around the world. It's really fascinating, and I, I take it that you have always loved swimming or I guess I diving. I read that you like to 
from the time you were a child, you like to dive deep. That's me too. I was like always under the water, never on top of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I always kind of wanted to see what was going on underneath. Yeah, the did surface. you? You always thought you were a fish. I think I was a mermaid in my other lifetime or something. <laughs> but in any case, one thing that was very fascinating to me was that in some of these um, cultures where they actually have the shark collars, and that was interesting because. You call, they call, is it, was it Papua New Guinea? Is that the right absolutely, place? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so in Papua New Guinea where they, they have these, and they're very revered in their villages, and they go and call the sharks. Talk to us a little bit about this and how the sharks are revered in some cultures and, of course, then uh, feared in their food and so many others. But Right, I think that's, that. You know, that was one of the really interesting things. I, I traveled the world for, for this book, and one thing that really you know, fascinated me was the idea that people could have such different perceptions of what sharks were like. And one of the things you saw is that island cultures often had more nuanced views of sharks than we have in the West, and that they often saw them as as, as being connected to their ancestors and, and, and playing a role in their faith traditions. And this is very much true in, in Papua New Guinea to this day, where, as you mentioned, there are these, these men who are shark callers, and they're all men, and they go out and actually summon the sharks from the sea with a coconut rattle, which they bang against their canoe, which uh, people think basically resembles the sound of a school of fish in trouble, which is why it's so effective in, in attracting the sharks. And and they actually engage in, in man-to-shark combat. Uh, they have a new system and, and take a club. And will, you know, on, on special occasions, they will kill a shark and bring it back to shore for a feast for the village, but they also communicate with the sharks and have this sense that, that really their ancestors can speak through the sharks and help explain what's going on in their world right now. And I think also which is so fascinating is you mentioned that it is all men, and when you went on this ride out on the boat with them, and even though you stayed away, the shark didn't come, and you were wondering... You know, they wonder, is it because a woman is near? So what is it about the woman? Right. I mean, to be honest, it's probably, you know, a sexist tradition that just goes back a long way. I Uh, think so. And and in fact, what's interesting is I met the daughter of a legendary shark caller um, who, who really knew, you know, her father had taught her the rituals and things like that, but she was not allowed to perform them. And in fact, her brother had to come from another village whenever they needed someone, you know, to perform these these rites. So, um, so you know, but I but I did I did ask I did ask Salam Karsimbe, the man I went out with. I said, do you think the fact that I was you know in a canoe nearby had something to do with the fact that you didn't catch a shark? And he was nice about it. He said he wasn't sure, but that's yeah, probably but I what had he was to thinking. chuckle when you I had to chuckle when you wrote that because it was like okay, I am sure that you know the men just being a it was like it's like a macho thing that the men had to do it. Another thing that was interesting in that culture is that when the chief um, shark caller died, it's like the status of the family goes down as opposed to you don't really remain the, you know, the, the most important people in the village anymore. Right. So, I mean, that is one thing. You're totally right. And in fact, you know, his granddaughter had to, had to drop out of school to help support her family. Like, it's just so interesting to me that, that it's not something that gets transferred down unless, you know, again, if he had had a son who had stayed in the village, then, you know, they would still have some status. But it's very much tied to these men and these men while they're alive. Well, and the final thing uh, before we run out of time is, is I wonder if people think about, you know, we're eating so much fish now, but one of the things you bring out in your book, Demon Fish, Travels Through the Hidden World of Sharks, is that 
fish populations are dwindling just in general. And, of course, if we get rid of the sharks, if we're killing so many sharks, the whole system starts collapsing because there's not the giant predators on top. And it's so important. Do you think we're going to be able to save this? I, a book like yours is definitely you know, going to show the balanced act out there. Right, I'm an optimist by nature, and so while you know, while I think we're in a difficult situation, the sea has shown that it's resilient. It can't, you know, it can't keep giving forever if we um, if we overexploit it. But I think that you know, I, I I have some optimism that if people recognize right now what's happening there, that there is a future for sharks as well as as, as a healthy ocean going forward. Well, I am an optimist as well, and I'm with you. So everyone out there. Forget about the shark fin soup. We're not going to have that anymore. We got to get rid of that. Just stop it. We don't we don't need it on the table. Let's go to the website demonfishbook.com. It's a great website. This is where you can see Juliet's book and find out all about her and as I said at the beginning of the hour, she is the national environmental reporter for the Washington Post and she writes about all kinds of great things, science and policy and politics. Juliet, I love Demon Fish, and I really think that you've done such a wonderful, wonderful credence for the um, the sharks everywhere. I mean, they are such a survivor, and they're going to survive us. We just have to, we really have to learn how to get along together. Demonfishbook.com. So thank you, Juliet, for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thanks so much, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad you liked the book. Oh, just, I loved it. Demon Fish is the book. Go out and get it. Travels through the hidden world of sharks and visit demonfishbook.com. And I'm sorry, everybody, we are out of time again, but I will be back with you next week, as will Heather Brittany with another health episode. For information about the charity, visit btsya.com or bethestarur.org. And if you want information about uh, me, Cynthia Bryan, May there be peace within you today. May you do the right thing. Be optimistic. And most of all, I'll celebrate every moment. Until we celebrate next week, Cynthia Bryan here from Star Style, thanking you and telling you to live your star. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for being part of our star galaxy on today's episode of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary and are motivated to dream big, overcome obstacles, and realize your potential. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. Join our power party next week right here on World Talk Radio as Cynthia Bryan, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers of the planet pump up the energy with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until then... Be the star you are. You.